Hello and welcome to the Blogging Business Owner Podcast. I'm your co-host, Anna. And this is your co-host, Chaitanya. And today we're going to be talking about how to optimize your blogging website in 2021. We may mention some links that are affiliates and just know that by you using those links, you will be helping out the show. So have you heard of search engine optimization? I'm sure you have. Most bloggers start their journey by listening to SEO and how important it is for their website. To tell you the truth, SEO is much simpler than trying to rank on a social media algorithm. Even though the algorithm for search engines is always evolving, just like the other algorithms, it is much easier to understand and to rank by following some of its foundations that we'll be talking about today. Let's cover some of the reasons why you would want to optimize your website or blog for SEO. Optimizing your blog for SEO means that you're making your website more searchable to search engines such as Google. Whenever people search for certain terms or keywords on the search engine, your website or blog will rank higher in the search results and you will have a higher probability of getting discovered for your content. The best case with SEO optimization is when Google actually refers to your website for certain set of questions which people uh, input in the search engine. What this does is that this will establish your blog or website as an authority and will boost your traffic a lot and will get you a lot of page views. It's critical to have SEO embedded into your website. We're not saying that you can't rank without it. You absolutely can. Uh, But there are some blogs that have been around for years and who have never implemented the SEO foundations and have found themselves to have to pay a lot of money for someone to go back and to perform SEO on all of those articles. Honestly, the best thing to do is if you're starting out or wherever you are is to start embedding SEO foundations. And every time that you feel like you're done, you can start all over again because this is an ongoing process. I promise you, As we speak, it's going to make more and more sense because all these foundations really do make sense. And by you understanding and putting a label to them, I think it's going to be easier for you to to remember what are the things that Google is searching for and what are the things that Google needs so it can crawl and index your website. So we're going to start with some of the ways that you can optimize your website SEO. So one of the first things is your images and videos. Know that if your images or videos are in on the website so they're being held in the media center they could potentially slow your website down there are plugins where you can optimize your what your images so that they are smaller as soon as you um, upload them into your website you can also compress them and then upload them so make sure that you that your images are at an optimal size so that they're not slowing you down Videos as well, they take up a lot of data. So if you're uploading entire videos into your media center, that's going to put a lot of strain into your data. And it might very likely make your website slow. I know that we loaded up a, a video not too long ago. It was only about three minutes long, I think. And we instantly saw a spike in our data 
And we had to call the engineers at Cloudways because um, there was some type of holdup that that made and it it just didn't work. Uh, And so they told us, you know, that the media was too overloaded and we had to take that off. And our website is new, so it, it, it depends how much you want to pay. An alternative, if you want to have videos, which we do have videos on the website, is to upload them to something like YouTube or Vimeo and then just take the URL from there and embed that into your website rather than uploading the file into your media center. One of the ways that you could optimize your images and videos on your website and blog is to use alt text. All text is used to describe, provide a small small description of your image or video that is like uh, accessible to visually impaired people. Now, this is also useful for SEO in a way that uh, Google will crawl and index your web pages. When it does that, it will look at your alt text and remember that for suggestions. This will make your page blogs and web pages uh, rank higher because your images and videos uh, inside your blog post uh, have alt text which gives more information to the search engine making it rank higher. And truthfully you have a lot of ownership over your self-hosted website and you can make it you know go fast and all that stuff but you never know who's on the other end maybe their internet is pretty slow your website's not always going to load optimally because somebody else might have really slow internet so one of the things that slows down or might even crash will be images so if your blog post loads but the image doesn't alt text will appear. So whatever you wrote in this alt text, that will be written into a box where your image is supposed to go. And if you have images that have to do with the concept of your article, you want people to know what was supposed to be the image so that they can get some information and and kind of piece together what you're trying to illustrate to them. It's really important to have alt text uh, for many reasons. The more keywords that you use, the better you um, have a chance to rank on the first page of Google, even the first place in Google. And adding keywords into your alt text makes that makes your SEO score jump up because you are putting in those keywords. And the more times you use the keywords, the better it is for you. If you use keywords in your alt text, it's not considered keyword stuffing. It is really great if you can use it in your alt text. Uh, nobody's going to look down for, on you for that. Another thing to optimize when you're adding images and videos to your website on your blog posts is to consider the size of these images and uh, videos. If the images and videos are too big in size, they will take a long time to load, leading to a bad experience for your users. You really don't want to do that. Also, like if you have a fast loading website, it will improve your search engine rankings. To improve your SEO score, you ideally want to have smaller images or compress them so that uh, they are loaded faster on the website for your end users. Also, like you could probably use CDNs that will help you load your image assets faster and will give your website will give your website users a good experience and also rank you higher on SEO. And just like 
with alt text, you want to use keywords in your captions. So your captions are the description of the image that you're using and videos as well. You can add captions for those too. Those are that small text under the image or video that describe what that image is or video is all about. Make sure you're using keywords there too, because those count as well. And use closed captioning. They are an accessibility tool, but also they make um, they make the user experience a lot better if you're able to use those closed captioning. So whenever possible and if possible, always use closed captioning. Now, the next piece of this is removing duplicate content. When two of your articles are too similar, Google will not know which one to pick when it is looking for something to produce as a response. Now, because both of them are so similar, they actually are competing for that place in Google and they compete so much that it's called cannibalization where they both cancel each other out. So then even though Google was looking at your site for a search result, because it doesn't know which one you intended to have ready as a response, it just won't pick your site at all. So make sure that you are picking which ones are your anchor or your pillar articles and that you don't have two articles or multiple articles that are very similar. You can do a couple things. You can merge them together and have a longer article. Honestly, the other thing that you could do is you can delete the ones that are irrelevant or the ones that are competing. Uh, I know that hurts to hear, but it, it will help with your SEO score. And now we are not SEO experts. So if you have any questions about which one, to, if two articles are too similar or what makes articles similar, you can go to an SEO expert and they can help you determine if you, um, if you can't identify uh, which one Google thinks is the most similar, but it really does rely a lot on your keywords, your topic, and the, the whole concept of the article. And so make sure that you have a pillar article and then you can have supporting articles too. A third thing you can do is you can de-optimize one of the pages. So if you really don't want to get rid of them and you don't want to merge them, you can de-optimize it. And you can do it a couple different ways. You can do it by having um, the keywords removed. You can have it by having a no search uh, link to it. Uh, or you can just remove any internal links from pointing to that certain page. And so th there's a couple things you can do, but the most important thing is make sure that you don't have competing and that you remove all duplicates. Another thing to consider while optimizing your website is to consider the site load speed. As I mentioned earlier, it can be a really bad experience if your website takes a long time to load if it has big images and videos which makes the website slow. This can make the user experience really bad for your users. Uh, usually people don't go past first page on the search engine to look at more results. So you probably want to rank in the first top 10 uh, results in the search engine. So if you want to do that, you need to have a good page load speed. A good way to measure your load speed is the time it takes to load a page on your website. Check if it is more than three seconds. Usually uh, it should be around three or less than that. 
if it's more than three seconds, like at four per uh, f- at four seconds, usually fifty percent of the people uh, stop engaging with your website at that point. And if it's even more than that, after like five seconds, ninety percent of the people will stop engaging with your website. So it is really important for you to optimize your page load speed uh, and your pa- site load speed. An awesome tip here to optimize your page load speed is to use a CDN. A CDN will cache all your static assets, all your static web pages, and will make it accessible to servers which are closer to people. And that way your website will be always loading fast everywhere. This will help your website rank higher in the search results. So admittingly, we ran a test uh, on our site speed back when we only had about two or three articles up. So we did it just because we wanted to know how to run a speed test, which you can do on Google for free. And we didn't think much of it because we thought we just wanted to know what the process was like. And our load speed was so slow. It was probably less than 50% on desktop and it was worse on mobile it it was just so bad and we were so shocked because we didn't have like a ton of pages and it just it was three articles and and you know just some of the pillar pages like the home page and the about me page and, and so on so it wasn't all that much and we started to look at ways to improve our load speed and we found some tips like uh like what we talked about the images and stuff like that but Honestly, it couldn't have been the images because we only had two to three articles at the time. And it just seemed like a really like a lot of work to go through every image. It it just there had to be something simpler. And what we did is we went back to our hosting platform, which is Cloudways, and they conveniently have a CDN. So what we did is we just switched one lever and our load speed changed instantly. It really, it really changed. We went back to Google, we refreshed, and we tried our website again. And it was just remarkable. And we didn't have to go through and through the trouble of changing the images or anything like that. It just, it was all about, I, I don't know what it was about. But if you're having trouble with your load speed, just go to Cloudways and get the CDN. And just try that first. And if you still have a problem, then, you know, start to look at things that are more time consuming. But with Cloudways, it was such a relief. It was it was one click and then, you know, it was done. You can use plugins like the Yoast plugin. I'm sure you've heard of that by now. They have the free uh, plugin and then there's the paid for one website right now. I think it's about $89 per year. And then you get some type of discount if you have multiple websites. Uh, we use the Yoast uh, plugin and it gives you some uh, prompts like it'll tell you about uh, your SEO on every page. It'll give you some tips as to how to address them and so on. It's useful. Um, so if you're looking for a plugin to help you out, think about Yoast. None of these tips are going to be exhaustive. So none of these tips by themselves are going to solve all of your all of your SEO concerns. They're they're just not and like we said, like we said, once you're done with optimizing, you have to then start all over again. This is not something that just ends. This is a continuous 
thing that you, you know, keep learning about. And if you're not managing your own website, still listen to this episode. And we're glad that you've made it, um, you know, till here with us. Keep on listening because even if you hire someone, you want to make sure that you understand the language, what you're asking for, and that you're also getting the value for your money. Uh, Because SEO is something that is going up in price. So make sure that you're paying, you know, an appropriate price for what you're asking to do. And, you know, that you're understanding what's happening to your website. Now, we did talk earlier about cannibalization. So that's when two of your pages are too similar and they cancel each other out. Now, let me show you a trick on linking. So when you are linking your website, uh, and this is the actual linking, like when you highlight it and, and you put the like the chain symbol, you want to make sure that you are linking out. So those are called backlinks. So you're that you're linking out to other sources. So this is why it's important to keep a resource uh, library and to also keep those footnotes inside of your article and to give credit to the, the sources so that you are able to link out. When other people link to you, that indicates that you have a level of authority because people are tagging you as a source or as an authority site. So you want to get into the habit of, you know, linking out. And this is something that people keep an eye on. And if you link to someone enough, you can spark a conversation and a friendship or a partnership or, you know, so on. So it's really important to go ahead and do that. And it also boosts your SEO score. But what's even more important than that is for you to interlink. So to link from one page to another that is within your website. So when you have a pillar post, that means a post that has all of the most important things on there. It's important for you for the supplemental or the complementary post to all link to that pillar post and that pillar post to link out to those complementary posts. Let me give you an example. We are affiliates of ConvertKid. And if we were to give you a... a blog post that is all about ConvertKit, then we could then do subsequent articles after that explaining the different features. So a smaller article on their landing pages, a smaller article on how they work with WooCommerce, and so on. Those are all features of ConvertKit, but because we have that pillar post that is all about the the ConvertKit as a whole, that would be the pillar post, and then we could interlink from those other smaller articles to that big article and vice versa. This really helps Google to understand which one is a pillar post and which one should be ranking uh, and which one it should refer to when it's looking for those results. So as you know, the heart and soul of your website as a blogging business owner is the post. And you want to make sure that you're using those posts to your advantage with SEO. And that's pretty easy to do uh, with a topic. So when you have a topic, you have keywords. So words that uh, mean something to that topic. I'm not talking about things like and and the. It's more things that have a clear link to the topic. So for example, if I were talking about social media marketing, the keywords I would be using would be influencer, 
influencer tips, marketing, marketing tips, online, social media, those would all be keywords that I would want to use. And I would want to use those keywords everywhere possible in the title, in the headers, in the body, um, and in the alt text, in the images, in the table of contents. The more times you use those keywords, the better it is. Now, if you want to learn about you know other keywords that you should be using or how much you should be using those keywords, you should really use phrase. So we are affiliates of phrase, but even if I weren't an affiliate, I would still be giving you the recommendation because there is nothing like it. And I know that there's plugins, but honestly, phrase is the best. They have a free plan. Go ahead and sign up on their free plan. And I mean, you're going to be wowed. You're going to want to sign up for the paid plan as well. But just know that you can put in a title. That's all it needs. Just put in a title and it will give you a list of keywords that are associated with that title because it has already ran a search and it has pulled up all of the relevant information, all of the SERP, so the search engine results pages, all of the queries that have been ran on Quora and Reddit and so on. It'll pull all of those up and it knows exactly what are the keywords that are needed. It'll even tell you how many times you should use them. It is so helpful because at times I will be writing a blog post and I have the list of keywords to use and I'm using them all throughout and then I run it through phrase and it's just not an optimal content or article or piece. And I start looking through the keywords and I notice that there are words that they obviously go with my content and I didn't use them once or even enough. And so it really is helpful to be able to see those keywords. And it's great if you have an editor. So if you're working with an editor, it's great because you can give them more direction as to what you would like to see in that blog post rather than just getting it uh, proofread and fixing you know, small minor things uh, like grammatical errors. If you have an editor, you wanna make sure that they are optimizing your piece and not all editors are SEO experts. So with phrase, you don't really have to worry about paying the big bucks for something that, you know, you and I could do. You can pass on those phrase and it's super quick. It's one click. Pass out that report and have them embed those keywords and add content so that you are ranking inside of, of Google. And of course, Every time you run it through phrase, it might not be the same, especially if you run it, you know, months and months apart, because SEO is always different. There's always pages that are ranking. There's always new information. So even though you ran it once and you optimized it, again, you have to go back, right? And do that content management and run it again and make sure that, you know, those words that you use are still ranking. Another thing to keep in mind while optimizing your blog posts is optimizing your titles. The titles that you have for your blog posts must include keywords. Try to include these keywords at the beginning of the title. Search engines such as Google usually tag your content using the titles. So it is really important for you to optimize your titles. Another thing to consider is using short URL. You want the URL for your blog post to be something short that is searchable that could be shared easily. So we suggest you 
to use short URLs for your blog posts. For example, if you have a blog post about social media marketing, you could have a short URL that is your domain.com slash short name, which is like would be marketing in this case. So your domain name.com slash marketing would be the short URL that you would use for your blog post. So when I found out about the URLs and this came from Google and uh, we have it linked on the blog post if you need more information, I was so panicked <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, because if you look at your theme, it will have a pre-selected, most of the time, it has pre-selected uh, what your URL is going to look like. And you can always switch it up. Like You can make it simpler. You can make it longer. You can add dates. You can delete dates. There's all kinds of ways, right? And then every time you do a blog post, it automatically kind of formats that URL to whatever you defaulted to. So we had a defaulted to include all kinds of things. I think even the date. It was just so long. And when I read this from Google that it should be short, right? Because Google needs to index pretty quickly. Uh, I got panicked and I went to my theme and I ended up, you know, making that switch. And then I went to Pinterest because I was working on Pinterest, I believe. And I was looking through my, you know, my old pins and I started to click on them and I started to get error messages on all those pins. And I was just so sad because I had just changed everything from my website and now all my pins were dead. And so we ended up just reverting back on the website. Pick your battles. If something is really hard for you to do and you can't do it, you know, you don't have to use all these. I mean, it's great if you're starting out and listening to us because then you know, you know, what to do from the beginning. However, if you're too far in and it's going to impact you or your business, uh, then, you know, pick your battles and, and see which ones you want to take on or not. Another thing to keep in mind while optimizing your blog post is to repurpose or update your content regularly. So what you want to do is repurpose your old content with new context, with new links, um, update it to make it more relevant. Since the search engine already has a lot of data about your page, uh, updating your content regularly will update its SEO score and will make that content live longer on the search engines. This also helps you increase your SERP rankings and in this way you'll gain authority and you'll rank higher on the search engine. Also a thing to remember is that sometimes uh, if you're blog post gets too old and it's irrelevant it is it is a good idea to probably consider removing that page because it might hurt your seo rankings for your website just like any other website google also likes fresh content and if you have stale content so content that's been sitting there for more than six months and you haven't optimized it and nothing's linking to it and it's just dead uh, you want to go back and optimize it and so as you're doing an seo audit at the same time you're doing a content management audit and you want to make sure that you're keeping those up as you know all year long you might even have seasons when you focus on these to not have them you know running all the time but you'll have to balance, you know, your time and your schedule and, you know, always take into account that there are variables that are just natural to life that might, you know, interrupt your your schedule. So, I mean, there has to be a plan B built in as well. 
Think about snippets when Google is looking for some type of result. Uh, you'll notice that at the top, if you're like on a phone or even on a desktop, you put something into the uh, query, into the search box, and then it pulls up results. You'll notice that more often than not, there will be a answer at the very top of that um, page. And you'll probably won't need to go any further uh, unless, you know, you're curious or it didn't quite answer your question. That thing that appears at the top with the answer, that's called a snippet. And a snippet is something that Google uses as a result for your search. Same thing when you do um, a voice search like on Google Home. When you ask a question and then Alexa or Siri respond to you, that is a snippet as well. And so that's coming from a website. Uh, unfortunately, you don't get to pick what Google gets to uh, put as snippets. So you have to optimize your website all of the time so that you always have a good chance of ranking in snippets. That is a way to cut the line. So if your content isn't ranking on SEO, make sure that you're writing really great content. So you have to value pack those sentences so that you have so that you can skip the line. Instead of trying to rank on Google, you skip everybody and you go straight to the top in those snippets. That is honestly, that's one of the best tips that I can give you today. And there's a lot of good tips here, but that's something that I want you to take notice of. So here are some tips for snippets. Include keywords in your meta description. So whatever is at the top of your article is what Google is going to pull as your meta description. And your meta, your meta description is that one to two lines that are shown when, um, when they're searching for, uh, for your website, you know, specifically, and you come up on the Google search results or wherever, um, whatever search engine you're using. That is called a meta description. Now, if you have a plugin like Yoast or something else, you can optimize your meta description and you can have it say something completely different than what's at the top of your article. So for us, at the top of every article, we have a disclaimer. We don't want the disclaimer to show as part of the snippet of the article because then all the articles would be the same and we would never rank. So what we do on the Yoast, and you can do this for free actually on Yoast, you can go in and put in a meta description that you want to show instead of the first one to two lines of your article. Now, keep the tone friendly and straightforward. It likes it to be straightforward because again, you're answering a question and if you've noticed, those snippets are pretty short. So you wanna make sure that you're concise and you're straightforward, but also you have a friendly tone. It's approachable. Now limit the length. I'm sorry about before. I think I said 77 characters. It's actually 155 characters that you can use for a snippet. So that's a good sentence too, maybe even three. Um, it really depends how long your sentences are. So that should be the length of your meta description. And then it, it does. the snippet is not always going to be the meta description. That's only when it's representing your website. So for example, if you have a Twitter card, those are when you see an image that is attached to a link, you'll often see that there is uh, that description, those one to two lines below the title. 
that's where you'll see that meta description. But if Google is doing a search and it lands on your page, it's not going to always take the first two lines of that article or the meta description. It's going to go straight to what it's looking for and it's going to pull that data. So make sure that you keep good writing, that it's straightforward, it's concise, and that it fits 155 characters all the time. While considering optimizing your website, you want to optimize your website for mobile devices. Recently in a study by SEMrush, it was discovered that more than 60% of the users access websites from mobile devices. This is a big and compelling reason and opportunity for you to rank higher for those users and make your website more engaging and responsive for those users. Now, one of the biggest way that you could optimize your website for mobile users is by using a responsive theme. A responsive theme is a theme in which adjusts the website according to the device it's being accessed from. So for example, it will look a little bit different on mobile, on tablets, on desktops or PCs. So you really wanna have a responsive theme that adjusts according to the device that the user is using to access your website. Now that restrictions, COVID restrictions are you know being lifted, you'll notice that your website too is changing to users using their mobile phone to access it more and more um, than compared when we were all at home and we could be on our desktop looking at blogs. And so you really want to prioritize mobile. And when you're running those load speeds, make sure that you run them for both for desktop and for mobile. I know that people also use tablets, but Google can optimize for that. Just make sure that you are looking at mobile and you're also looking at desktop load speed. And like Chaitanya was saying, make sure that you get a theme that is responsive. There are themes out there that are not, which means that they would be looking at a website on their phone. And you can, I mean, I think we've all done that. It is just so annoying because everything is so small and you have to scroll, not just up and down, but left to right. It's just, it's annoying and things don't load right. It doesn't work. So make sure that you have a responsive theme. If you don't have a responsive theme, get a responsive theme. It's never too late, uh, but you do want to make that change soon because a lot of people are accessing your website through their mobile phones. Now, just know that even though you have a responsive theme, you also have to adhere by the theme and, and what it does and what it doesn't do. I'll give you an example. I saw this really cool blog where they had the feature image and the featured image was in wrap text. That means that the article started beside the image and then once the image uh, was finished, it then uh, took up, the text took up, you know, the majority of that space where before the image was there. My theme doesn't do that, which I at the time I didn't know that it was a theme thing. My theme puts the featured image at the top, almost like blocks. It puts it at the top and then at the bottom goes all the text. So I want it to look like this other blog because it just looked, you know, pretty cool. And so I did it. Um, I went ahead and put the image. I did the wrap text. Uh, I looked it up on desktop. It looked great. I was so happy. 
And I picked up my phone, searched my website. It was horrible. Instead of having, you know, exactly how I looked on the desktop, there was like one letter beside the image. You couldn't tell what I was trying to say in that article. And that is really bad user experience. If I were to see that as a user, I would click out because I can't read it. So why would I stay on the on the page? I had to take it off and go back to something that I don't like. But honestly, our theme is so good that I can get over something like aesthetics. I mean, that that's a, you know, that's a battle that I'm willing to, you know, give into. And so just know what you're getting into. If, you know, rap text is something that you really need, then, you know, find a theme that does that. And not all themes are going to be, um, are going to do the same thing. So make sure that you are adhering by what your theme is, is about. So one last part of mobile optimization, you'll notice that desktop and mobile don't look the same. And sometimes you'll even install some plugins that might look fantastic in one and be super terrible on the other. One example is those social share buttons. So you'll notice like at the top of some of the articles, and if you haven't done this, please do this so that uh, you're promoting your article, right? And it has more pool and, and more chances to get distributed is to add those social buttons. Add them at the top, add them at the bottom. Some people have them on the side. We have them on the side for our homepage. And they just float on the side of our of our main page. On all the other pages, they're just at the top or they're just at the bottom. So I installed those uh, social share buttons. They look great. I picked up my phone and the social share buttons were still there, but because I was on a smaller screen, they just took up like half the screen and I couldn't scroll. Like I had to have my, my finger like far to the right to be able to scroll. And whenever I went into some type of article, they would still be there and I was not able to read the article because the the buttons were on top of the article. So I had to go back to the plugin and make sure that it was disabled. So floating buttons were disabled for mobile, but enabled for desktop. These are very like small things, but impact your user experience by tons. I would never stay on a website where there's these huge buttons and I can't see the website. I, I just, I, even if I made it in, I would just leave. There's no point to staying. Biggest thing, user experience. And so always make sure that whatever change you made, what even if it seems really small, like me adding those social share buttons, that you're picking up your phone and you're double checking how it's impacting your website. Super important. Another thing that you should consider while optimizing your website is optimizing it for different types of audiences over the world. You might want to consider translating your website by hiring a translator or having some software that translates your website. While you do the same, that is translate your website for different audiences, you want to keep track of your keywords and SEO stuff. So you may notice that Google is different everywhere in the world, like depending on where you are. So here in the US, we go to google.com. In India, in Google, it might be google.co.in. In Spain, it's something Google ES. 
So it's going to be different. And so things are going to rank different because of the demographic. And so that's what Chaitanya is talking about with keywords is that some keywords are going to rank better. And so make sure that you're paying attention to that. Now, you can do a lot of things with translation. For example, you can get, I think Google has a way to translate your website. Not all languages are there, but a majority of the most popular languages or the most spoken languages are there. And so you can go ahead and do that. You can also hire someone who has a native tongue and who can look through the article and make sure it makes sense because it's probably going to have to have, you know, some proofreads um, for that article. I know some bloggers who were doing really well in the U.S. and then added translation to their website and they have more users going into their website, even though it's not U.S. users who tend to be the ones who spend the most amount of money. You know, some some of us, we really value the content and it's not always about making a sale. It's also about nurturing your audience. So translation really helps your website and make sure to consider that. Another thing to consider while optimizing your website is to improve your site's user experience. You want to keep in mind how the user feels while navigating through your website. See what the journey for the user looks like. Whenever you are making updates, installing plugins, changing themes and stuff like that, you want to keep a track of the experience that's being presented to the user. You may want to consider simplifying your interface and theme so that, so that your website is easy to navigate for your users. You may also want to structure your website in a more easy way to understand so that your users could easily navigate your website to different sections and get more involved on the, your website. This will also reduce your bounce rates. You may want to also consider improving your page load speed so that the website loads faster for your users and they don't bounce a lot. Also, you may consider adding ads to your website. While you do so, you want to keep the ads um, on the side or somewhere that they don't bring into focus the content. You want the content to be in focus so that the users can actually read your content. So please try to keep the ads distraction in mind while accounting for user experience. So I know that Google released uh, some information just a couple of years ago where they said that if there are too many ads and it's interrupting the user experience, you aren't going to rank as high as you could if you had less ads. So be strategic about where you place those ads because for me, I mean, I'm a blogger, so I understand why there's uh, ads there. And I, I love seeing when there's uh, when there's ads, especially when it's Mediavine, because that's an indicator to me that that's a blog that gets a lot of views. So for me, I, I can appreciate those ads because I, I kind of understand the background of that. But for most people who visit blogs, I would assume that they're not bloggers. And so it's going to be pretty distracting. And they're not going to want to navigate that website because they're going to want to just leave it. They're not getting the value from the short amount of sentences that are constantly being interrupted by ads. 
Also have relevant ads. So you don't want to have ads that are totally contradicting to your content. I understand that you don't, you can't control a ton of what, you know, what ads you get placed on your website. Just make sure that they're not, you know, selling something that your website is not about. So some metrics to look at when you want to measure user experience, and these are not exhaustive, are bounce rate. So bounce rate is when someone clicked on that link to go to your website and they never made it there. They didn't even spend one second there. They just didn't make it there. A lot of times it could be because of your load speed. It was so slow. They just got out before anything came up, right? It was still loading. So make sure that you're looking at your bounce rate. Uh, Some people say that 80% bounce rate is still good. I don't know. I think like if it's like over 95%, I think you need to start looking at your load speed. Uh, But I I, I don't know what's a good bounce rate. I'm currently at a 50%. And for some time, I was at a 20% uh, for a one week uh, span. But if I look at 30 day span, it's at 50%. So um, I don't know, aim for 50 or, or lower. If you can make it lower, please comment how you made it lower because I would love to know. Something else that you want to see through, um, kind of have a metric for is your click-through rate. So your click-through rate is the trajectory that a user will go through to navigate your site. So you want to see, did they just make it to one page and then click out? Or did they make it to one page and were intrigued and then went to another page? So if you start to see that people, that the click-through rate is pretty high and people are getting to the point where you're making a sale or where they're getting to a landing page or whatever your goal is, that's great. And that's a great indicator. So you want those click-through rates to go up. Your page per sessions. So this is the exploration of your site. Uh, Chaitanya, do you want to explain the difference between like page views and sessions? Yeah, the page views is in general, all the clicks uh, on your, all the clicks on your pages on your website. So to explain the difference between page views and session views, I can use a real life example. Like suppose you're traveling to New York. Now, New York Traveling to New York would be considered as a session and suppose you visit 10 places in New York and those 10 visits would be considered as 10 views or 10 page views. So in this example, I'm referring to a visit to the New York as a session and 10 visits to 10 places inside New York as views, page views. So in short, the difference between page views and page sessions is that a user can have a long session in which they access like tens or 20 of pages and those will count as each individual page views. But the session that the user was uh, using for your website would be a long session with 10 or 20 page views. And you want to know the difference between page views and sessions because some agencies, some ad agencies look at your sessions, not your page views. So right now my page views uh, is about 300. 
but my sessions are 150. So do you see the difference? You really need to understand that difference because if you're being rejected by an ad agency and they have a minimum uh, session, then you want to know, you know, what to look at. Also, it's a good indicator uh, for user experience. And the last indicator that I want to talk about today, and there's more, but the last indicator is time on site. So how long did someone last on your site? So you want this number to be really high because that means that they took the time to read and browse and watch that YouTube video that you linked and do all sorts of things, right? So you want that metric to be really high. I think um, one day our uh, time on site was like 19 minutes. It was, it was so long and it was on a... Um, it was on an income report that we were getting those those kind of um, time on sites. But overall, our site does about two and a half minutes. And so that's like the average. So if you take, you know, the people who leave really soon and the people who stay really long, the average would be about two and a half minutes. Comment below if your uh, time on site is higher and please let us know how you're doing that because we would love to know. Now, to improve the metrics and optimize your site on mobile, desktop, tablet, all that, uh, we want to give you some pointers on how to improve that because if people are having a good experience, they're going to stay longer, they're going to go through more pages, so on. So one of the things is your font. Don't stress over this. Uh, just, Just look at your font. You know what's better? Ask an elder to look at your website. They will give you an honest response. So ask someone else to look at your website. And if they can read your font, if your font is legible, then that's good. But if you have, you know, like cursive and it can't be read or, you know, some other fonts and and nobody can understand what it says, even though SEO is ranking it because it doesn't see the font, the user experience will be down and, and it won't rank as high as it could if it had a legible font. So, um, you know, don't dwell on the aesthetics too much, but just make sure that, you know, people are able to read it. Limit the pop-ups. This, okay, it's a great tactic to get people to sign up for your email list. And honestly, I've signed up for a ton of email lists this way because I'm reading an article. It is so good. It pops up. I wanted to get rid of it, but I am also intrigued by the content and I just sign up. But that's me because I like reading newsletters. People find it annoying, especially SEO experts. And I don't mean to put you down like this is not a put down. If you have a pop up and it's working for you, keep it. You don't have to implement all these things. I'm just saying most people don't like pop ups. So if you have a time on site that is very low and you start to see that is before the mark of, um, or I'm sorry, after the mark of the pop-up, uh, you might consider uh, removing that pop-up. And now for a break, stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, and the newsletter is open right now at bloggingbusinessowner.com newsletter. My newsletter is the most comprehensive service for blogging business owners. Each week, the newsletter focuses on strategies, features, and the benefits for online businesses. 
The Blogging Business Owner Newsletter is the number one way that I get to connect with you each week. Having the newsletter is what drives traffic to my site every single day. So dive in now at bloggingbusinessowner.com slash newsletter. bloggingbusinessowner.com slash N-E-W-S-L-E-T-T-E-R. That's bloggingbusinessowner.com slash newsletter. You know that I've been posting on bloggingbusinessowner.com for a couple of weeks now, and I've been very lucky to rank on the first page of Google in my first month of blogging. When it comes to ranking, my favorite tool to use is Phrase. They have a great AI and care about their clients. They take the time to get to know what is most important to you and consistently make improvements to their service, like their website's answer bot. You can find the answer bot and more when you head over to bloggingbusinessowner.com slash phrase. That's bloggingbusinessowner.com slash F-R-A-S-E. Hey, it's Anna. And I want to personally invite you to try the ConvertKit free plan. It's time to tackle email marketing the right way. Go to bloggingbusinessowner.com slash ConvertKit. ConvertKit will help you start your mailing list in no time. That's bloggingbusinessowner.com slash ConvertKit. Hosting your website just got easier. With Cloudways, I was able to set up my website in no time. Their easy-to-navigate features make hosting a website of breeze. So stop by bloggingbusinessowner.com slash Cloudways for your free three-day trial. Bloggingbusinessowner.com slash C-L-O-U-D-W-A-Y-S. That's bloggingbusinessowner.com slash cloudways. Another tip to consider is limiting the number of fields that you have on forms. While you create your landing pages or opt-in forms, be selective for the information that you ask for. Only ask for information that you really need as adding too many fields can be a big deterrent for potential subscribers because like if you're asking for too much info they may not be willing to actually like sign up or engage with your form you want to use also consider using buttons you want to use aesthetically pleasing good looking buttons the buttons are a clear call to action for certain um, certain things that you want to do and they express uh, engagement right away. So I think you can relate whenever you see a link and it says click here or something like that, which you shouldn't do. Don't, don't do a link that says that because it, um, it, it's hard to see that with, uh, uh, people who are visually impaired. So don't do that, but we've all seen it. We can easily dismiss it. Because it, it looks, it's text. It's just like in blue sometimes. Uh, like my theme doesn't even put it in blue. It, it doesn't underline. It's still in black. Anyhow, it's so easy to dismiss. But a button, it catches your eye. And you do consider clicking the button. Even if it's just a millisecond thought that you have. So if you want people to, you know, go somewhere or take some type of action, you want to make sure that you make that very noticeable and you're adding a button, a call to action. Use your theme as much as possible. It, it probably has, if it's a pro theme, it comes with all these, you know, great plugins and, and the theme, you know, responds in different ways. Get to know your 
theme and embed as many of those, you know, visual aesthetics and calls to action so that people can engage and you can get those results. All right. So how do you get your blog noticed? So you have a blog, you put it up, it's running on Google. When you search for it, you find it. People on social media are finding it as well. Those are referrals, social media, and and yours are direct links because you know exactly where to look. But if it's a new blog or, you know, you're, you don't have an influence online, it's going to be hard for people to find your website if it's not ranking. So how do you get Google to rank it for you? There's a couple ways. I mean, the the best way is to use schema. Uh, It's schema.org. So if you look at the new Google, it'll say, you know, that's the best way to do it. Go to schema.org and make sure that you mark up your website so that you indicate which ones are images, which ones are titles, which one, you know, those are all things that you, you do have to label so that when Google goes to your website, it understands what you're trying to communicate. Th- those are not things that are like obvious to Google. So make sure that you're going through and that you're doing all this tagging. I know it sounds kind of annoying, but make sure that you're doing it. Use the Google structured data markup helper to be able to help you mark your your content. You want to do this if, so taking these steps of working with schema, working with Google structured data, you're going to have a better chance of ranking. Of course, then it comes down to your content, your competition. It comes down to a lot, but you have a better chance if Google knows what you're trying to say. Let's talk about optimizing for voice search. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but voice search is very popular now and and just rising. So voice search is like when you say, um, okay, Google, uh, or (laughs) I don't want to turn on my home Google, or or when you call out for Alexa, or you call out for Siri, or you you do any of those things. And then you do a search with your voice. Sorry, I didn't understand. Sorry about that. So when you're doing those kind of verbal searches, you want to make sure that your article or your website is ranking for those results. So how do you do that? Well, here, here's something like super short. Okay. So when people are asking questions to in a voice search, it'll usually be what questions. So make sure that you're answering what questions within your article. Here's three tips to rank on the voice search. So use headers that are phrased like the question that people are going to ask. This is so nerve wracking because the way that I write is not the way that most people ask questions. So the way you and I write is usually... um, It's not formal, but it is uh, grammatically correct. And people don't always ask like full questions to Google. And I mean, they're in the comfort of their home. They're not going to, you know, use like proper grammar. So this is such a nerve. 
because you have to write your article the way that people are going to ask a question. And when you're looking at it, it is a transition because you have to get comfortable with adding the way that people would phrase those questions. And I get it. Some people are just not willing to do that. (laughs) So just get as close to it as you can. If you can get it exactly how people ask, please go ahead and do that. Now include frequently asked questions. You'll notice that in most of the articles of blogging business owner, we include frequently asked questions at the end. We're even thinking of adding a frequently asked question uh, page because it does really well with Google. So add an FAQ to your article, to your page, wherever you can put it, because that is a great way. If you don't want to embed those questions, the way that people ask them into your headers, embed them in the FAQs at the bottom. And this way you're going to cut the line and you're going to go right to the top where the snippet is. And it's going to be your article that gets spoken by that by Google Home when people ask a question. Third tip, use natural language when you're writing. So think about how someone may inquire about a subject and write headers that reflect that. If your subject is highly academic, then write that way. Most of us bloggers, our audience is going to be, you know, casual, everyday people, Uh, is going to be informal most of the time. I have a really hard time with this because I am an academic and it's difficult for me to write without using an academic language. It's very difficult for me. So I usually have to revise my work like many times to make it sound casual because if I'm not thinking about it, if I'm, you know, exhausted and I'm just writing, I go off and I write things like found, thus, you know, whatever it is. It just, it doesn't work with blogging business owner. Make sure that you're writing in a natural language and that it's the way that people are going to answer. Keep in mind that when you get a verbal result from Google Home or Siri or any of these, it's usually about 41 words on average that it responds back. So again, make sure that you are concise with your answers on those like what questions uh, so that you do get featured. A lot of times uh, Google Home will say something like, do you want more information? That's great, but you can't, you don't know when it's going to give that option. So make sure it's concise and just keep in mind 41 words. Another tip to consider while you optimize your website for your users is to consider submitting a sitemap to Google. Sitemaps are usually a way of structuring your website in such a way that it's easy to navigate. You can easily see all the categories of the content on your website and all the linked web pages inside those categories. If your website has more than 100 pages, then we recommend submitting your sitemap to Google. If it's lesser than 100 pages, then you can request Google to crawl your website, they'll do that and index your website in the search engine. So think of a sitemap like an organizational chart, right? You have like the CEO and then you have, you know, whoever below that that person and then there's more below them and then more below them. That's kind of like a sitemap. Like you only have so many pillar posts, but then you have so many complementary posts. You only need to do this if you have more than 100 pages. 
if you have less than 100 pages, then you can still ask Google to crawl your site. Actually, it's a really great thing to do. We'll go ahead and link it in the article so that you can find a way to do that quickly. Uh, and make sure that you, you ask Google to crawl it every so often because you want to make sure that even though your website is new or doesn't have a lot of content, that it's being crawled and indexed so that at least there's that file. I know of art of uh, blogs who are very specialized in what they do and they do rank and they even cut the line like with the snippets. They rank and they make money because they are so specialized. You want to go ahead and do that. Um, if you have a small website, you have a big website, if you do get a sitemap at, you know, whatever stage that you're at, uh, you can even put that as part of your website. Like you can link to it because it's easier for people to understand the way that you've organized your website when they're able to see a sitemap. It just makes it so much easier. I really enjoy looking at sitemaps and that's because I have a website and I can see, you know, peers that do the same niche as you then you can go and look at the way that they've structured their website. It's good uh, information for you to have. We touched on this briefly, but let's say you're embedding all these tips and you're doing a great job at doing that. That's awesome, really, to be able to do that consistently. Whether you're doing that or you're not, hopefully you are, you still have to maintain a healthy website. So there's two main things that you can do to maintain a healthy website. We touched on it a bit earlier, but one of them is to set up Google Analytics and make sure that you that it's giving you information about your website. So the bounce rate, the page searches, how much time people are spending. Second thing is you want to audit your content and you want to audit your website SEO as well. So these are things that you can do ongoingly or you can schedule them. I like to do them ongoingly, uh, but I also do schedule them for uh, every trimester. I go ahead and switch from content to SEO. So first I go through my content and I, I look at the SEO in the content itself. So if it's ranking and, you know, the images and the videos and the captions and I do all that. And then the other thing that I do is I do an audit on the actual website to see, you know, is it ranking? Do I need a sitemap? Do I need to update? Uh, Whatever it is that the website needs so that it is uh, ranking with load speed and translation and all that stuff. So uh, make sure that you maintain a healthy website. And now we're going to go to frequently asked questions. First question, how do I get a a thousand (laughs) visitors to my blog? There's a couple things you can do. And um, I would advise, I know you're almost to the end of this episode, but I would advise uh, print out this, uh, this article, this blog post, and write notes on it to, you know, because it's a lot of information that we're throwing at you. And it's all written down. You could replay this, you know, the, this audio, uh, but That's just a recommendation if you're able to, because if you're taking notes on a blank piece of paper, uh, bless you. And um, if that works for you, keep on doing that. Uh, But if you're able to print it out and you have access to a printer, uh, please go ahead and consider that or do it on your iPad or your phone. Okay, so how to get a thousand visitors to your blog. 
Okay, I'm going to give you about four recommendations. Social media. It's free and people use it all the time. So make sure that you're marketing your your blog post on social media. You can do things like every time you have a post, you can use that featured image to be placed on all of your platforms. Every time you update a post, you can put it up on all the platforms. You can do this really easily with Zappy, Zapier, sorry, with Zapier. So if you just include your RSS feed into Zapier, it'll automatically do it for you. So make sure that you have, you know, things like that to help you out so that you're not doing it all the time by yourself. Uh, But you can also, you know, go through your own article and pick out some headlines or some important points. If you bulleted anything, that's great content for a carousel, for an Instagram post. If you want to make a short video on Canva, great content and you can go ahead and do it, um, promote your content on social media. The other part is guest posting. So when you guest post, it means that you're writing a piece for someone else's blog and you're getting credit. So you can go ahead and do that too and get your name out there for a blog that is established. Number three, ranking on Google. So all the SEO uh, tips and tricks that we showed you today, embed those so that you are climbing up and that you're showing up on that first page of Google. And the last one is campaigns. So if you have, well, you don't need any money actually. It's, it's great if you have money, but if you don't have money, you can do a campaign with no money. So you can do things like, uh, we're going to do a seven day challenge, or we're going to, um, I don't know, release a ebook and do a signing, whatever it is. If you have money, you can put money into your social media accounts and even into Google and it will push out your content even more than, you know, it would organically get. So getting more visitors is a significant step, but the next step is to keep your visitors on your site by providing excellent content. So these are tips to get people in, but go back to the rest of the episode, optimize your website so that you keep people coming back to your website. That is how you're going to monetize and how you're going to make sales and money. Another frequently asked question is how many views do you need to have to make money from a blog? So this generally depends on what sort of monetization strategy you are using to monetize your blog. Let's discuss some of the ways that blogs are usually monetized. Affiliate marketing is usually promoting some other person's products or services on your website and you get a commission or a flat fee for that kind of a promotion. If you are doing affiliate marketing, usually you wouldn't require a lot of page views. You, What you need is actual conversions from people who are visiting your blog and getting, uh, using your affiliate link to get those products and services. Another strategy that is commonly used for making money from blogs is advertising. Usually, uh, Google Ads is used for monetizing your blog through ads. Now, if you're using something, uh, if you're only monetizing your blog, 
using Google Ads or some other ads platform, you are going to require a lot of page views to actually monetize and have a significant amount of income. And with Google Ads, what we have observed in general is that people don't really make a lot of money. You need a really huge volume. And from most of the reports that I have seen from people, it's like you usually only end up making about 50 bucks from Google Ads, which means that it's not a good return on your investment for your time and for your content. Another way to monetize your blog is to accept donations from your users or readers. This could be something like a Patreon or some other way that you want to get donations for your content and monetize your content. In this case, you do need certain amount of views, but what you need is a dedicated and following audience who wishes to engage with your content a lot. If you have that kind of an audience, they would be definitely willing to donate for your content. Also, just a side plug here, we also have some donations set up on our website bloggingbusinessowner.com anchor. Using that link, you could possibly contribute to having more content on the blog in the future. Another strategy used for monetizing blogs is to have some sort of premium content that is only accessible possibly through a subscription. This will drive a certain set of users to have access to your premium content because they love your content and they would want to subscribe to your blog. Another way to make money on your blog is to sell products and services. This one is pretty simple. You will have some sort of a service or product that you want your users to buy from you or subscribe to. And if you have a loyal audience who really loves your content, who really likes the value you provide to them, then they will be compelled to actually subscribe and buy your products. You, again, with this uh, sort of a strategy, you don't really need a lot of views and uh, you really don't need a lot of page views. But what you need is a loyal audience who is genuinely interested in your content. So just, uh, I know that, thanks Chaitanya for doing, for answering that question. Um, and just to be transparent on Blogging Business Owner, we are a new website. And so right now the only um, ad agency that would take us would be Google. And I we've talked about this, about whether we would sign up with Google or not. And our decision was to not sign up because I've heard of, like Chidani was saying, pretty big blogs that get tons of traffic and they don't make any more than $50 a month. And I just, I, we value the user experience and we know that ads does affect, negatively affect that user experience. And we're just not willing to do it now. Once we get to like 60,000 sessions, which right now we're, like I said, 150, so it's going to be hopefully not too long <laughs> until we get there. Uh, we're not going to put our, at this point, we're not going to put ads on the website because it, it just it doesn't work for us. So right now our marketing mix is, or our monetization mix is right now donations. Um, and it just gives you a, a better voice, right? So, and then the next one is premium content. So we have a subscription on Substack where people can subscribe for free to the newsletter. So please go ahead and consider that. But there's also layers. So we do have a two premium options where people can sign up and give, um, give a monthly subscription to receive premium content on, on Substack. 
So please consider those uh, avenues. That's the way that we're doing it. And we're, you know, brand new bloggers. You can monetize even if you're a small blogger like us. Uh, and, and you can monetize when you're, you know, a big blogger and getting a lot of sessions. Okay, the next question is, how can I promote my blog for free? <laughs> okay, so again, guest posting, that is usually free. If you're having to pay to guest post, I don't, I don't know what circumstance that would be actually. So just consider that, you know, most people will do guest posting. You can even do an agreement. Like I guest post on your blog and you guest post on my blog. You can go on Reddit and they have uh, subreddits that are dedicated to this. So you can go on there, find people that have the same niche and that are, are interested in guest posting. Social media, it's free. I mean, you can put money into that, into like ads. And, you know, if you need to do that, go ahead and do that. There's, there's, you know, tons of people do it. I've done it before just to see what it was like. It was, you know, it, it reached a ton more than, you know, what I could have reached. And so it, it's a really great avenue. If you add videos to your social media, they tend to do a lot better than just stagnant pins. Uh, I'm sorry, stagnant images. So add videos of like how to do a voiceover. Do like a little snippet of your work when you're posting them on with the caption of the blog photo. So make sure that you're paying attention to those captions because it does boost up the amount of you know, views that you're going to get for that post. So make sure that you are amping those captions. For example, on Instagram, I think it's like 2200 characters that you get for each caption. Make them count. Uh, People who read your uh, social media, it boosts how much the algorithm is going to push your content. So the time that is spent on that post is going to help you out. So make sure that you're using that. And the last thing is show the behind the scenes and show, you know, how you got to, you know, the product or the service, how you're doing that, that would really help your social media. There's so many ways that you can do this. And these are all ways that you can do without showing your face. I know that a lot of influencers are saying that you need to show your face on social media. That might be true, but you know, you have to pick your comfort level and what you're comfortable doing and not doing. If you're like us and you're not comfortable putting yourself or your face online, then these are all tactics that you can use and you can still promote your blog without having to go in front of the camera. Another frequently asked question that we encounter is, I have decided on a topic, but I can't figure out what keywords do you use? Can you help us? So usually... Uh, choosing keywords can be really tricky for a topic. What you want to do is use a tool like phrase that will readily give you keywords available for your topic that are also like really good for SEO and SERP ratings. That way you will have achieved your SEO goals and have really good keywords for your topic. Next question, how many images should I use in a blog post? So you want to use, I mean, really our recommendation is use images when they are warranted. I don't like to put images that are just aesthetically pleasing. I, I just, I don't like it. I know I go to blogs and I like it when they do it, but I just don't do it. And it could be 
you know, my mind works a little bit different. It could be that. Uh, but I just try to only add images that are going to add actual value. So for example, if I'm explaining a sequence, then I like to put it in an image so people can visualize what I'm explaining. If I'm talking about a process, you, you get it? So I, I don't try to put things that are aesthetically pleasing just because, uh, but you know, maybe it'll happen one day, uh, but I don't right now. So do what you're comfortable doing. Uh, just know that it could interrupt the flow of reading and, you know, know your audience, know what they like, know, you know, if they want to see that kind of stuff, then that's great. You know, um, especially if you're like, a a cooking, uh, cooking niche, then you're going to need a lot of pictures, right? But for me, um, I blog about blogging and I don't always need, you know, that many pictures. So just think about your niche and think about, you know, what your audience is looking for. All right, we're going to divide the next one up because it's a long one. Uh, the question is, what are some things I can implement today to improve my load speed? Okay, we're going to repeat some of the uh, tips that we gave earlier, but these are things we've narrowed them down to things that you can do today. So if, if you don't have something to write with, go ahead and write these down now. Number one, check your web hosting plan. So this is a huge one. So if your web hosting plan is not able to serve your website for whatever reason, um, maybe it's in the wrong location or your website is too large and it's not able to handle it then make sure that you get that you get a bigger server. We use Cloudways and um, we think that they're great. And if you want to switch over, I think that's a great idea. I think most people switch over from other providers because Cloudways supports your website at whatever size it is. And for us, if we need it to scale up, it's one click and we scale up. It is so easy to scale up. And we could always change our hosting provider within Cloudways. Like we could always switch to Amazon or Google or whatever it is. And it's all done within Cloudways. You don't have to mess with all the messiness of, you know, dealing with uh, migrating your website to something else. You don't have to deal with all of that. It's it's all within Cloudways. Uh, so that would be the first thing. Check your hosting plan. Another tip to improve your page load speed is to use content delivery networks. Now CDNs or content delivery networks store static assets from your website such as images, videos at a location that is closer to your user. That means that your content has to travel really less distance to get to your user. What this means is that the page load times for your user are significantly lowered because the content is so close to them. The next part is your images. So make sure that they don't take up you know, a lot of data. Uh, recommendation is that there are at least 72 DPIs and will be placed in the root directory of the site. And s smaller files are always better. They, they load a lot faster. Limit the amount of media that you have in your media uh, within within WordPress. So if you use GIFs or GIFs and they're all on your website, it's going to slow it down. If you add videos directly to the website, it's going to slow it down. So 
you know, make peace with adding URLs, even if you put it from your Google Drive and then you link it in or you put it on YouTube and you link it in, try whatever you need to do for your content uh, and for your website. The next tip is to use Google Analytics. And that's something that you can do today. You can sign up for Google Analytics. And if you already have it, go in and look at your analytics. Look at things like how is it loading on mobile? Are people using their uh, cell phone to go onto your website? How many people are doing that? How many people are going in through the desktop? Uh, Look at time on site. You can look at all of those metrics to let you know how your website is doing. This is information that is crucial for you to know, uh, but don't, you know, obsess over it because it could eat up a lot of your time too. Also consider checking your web pages for unnecessary HTML tags and attributes. You want to go through your web pages and look for unused HTML tags and attributes or any unused CSS selectors, any unused CSS files, and possibly remove them. The reason for this is that unused HTML and CSS will add add an extra layer of code that needs to be run on the server and on the client, which is the browser that the user is trying to use to access your website. This will in general lead to slower loading of your website due to a lot of unused HTML and CSS. Now, a big thing that you know we're all, you should always be looking for, but absolutely have it on your website, is that it's an HTTPS. So the S stands for secure. And you want to make sure that your website is secure, especially if you're taking payments, because that is a lot of personal information that you're collecting. So make sure that as much as possible, your website is HTTPS. While optimizing your website for load speed, you may want to consider minimizing browser resources that are used by things such as JavaScript, by third-party cookies, any sort of applications, web applications that are rendering your website. What you want to do is remove unused JavaScript code, uh, unused web server code, uh, or ads or plugins that are adding burden on your website loading times. So those were your seven tips of what you can do today. Uh, However, we did give you a lot of tips that you can do today, you can do this week, this month, this year, and then do them all over again because this is an ongoing process. Keeping your website healthy is one of the best things you can do to rank on Google, to make sales, nurture your audience, and increase your traffic. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Uh, I know it was a longer episode and we appreciate your time and you being here with us. And if you want the show notes, uh, go to bloggingbusinessowner.com slash show notes and you'll be able to find, it's going to take you to all the show notes and you'll be able to find this. Again, this is how to optimize your blogging website in 2021. And you'll go ahead and see it when you go to bloggingbusinessowner.com slash show notes. And if you're listening to this on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, make sure to subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcast because it really helps us out and we really appreciate it. This is your co-host Anna. This is your co-host Chaitanya. 
Thanks for listening to us today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. So, as you know, I have been in the podcasting space for some weeks now, and I have been very lucky to produce successful episodes. If you want to hear more episodes, go to bloggingbusinessowner.com slash podcast. Access the one stop to subscribe to your favorite platform and connect with us online. That's bloggingbusinessowner.com slash podcast.